Leadership File on Premier. It's my joy to welcome you to The Leadership File, the show that aims to help you lead as Christ would have you lead, wherever he has placed you. I'm Andy Peck, your host, and whether you listen live on a Sunday or one of the many thousands who catch up via the podcast, it's great that you can join us. A reminder that you can buy my book, The Leadership Road Less Travelled, at uh, the Premier Store. If you're a regular listener to The Leadership File, you will know that the face of world mission has changed. We have noted it's no longer west to the rest, but nations formerly recipients of missionaries are now becoming sending countries. What we might call old-style traditional missions agencies have had to adapt. And none more so than OMF International, who was founded by Barnsley-born Hudson Taylor in 1865 when it was known as the China Inland Mission. In 2012, they started a branch of the ministry known as uh, OMF New Horizons to work primarily with emerging mission leaders, Uh, from those with new sending nations and I'm delighted that its founder and leader until recently uh, Guido Brashi joins me this week so Guido I'd love you to welcome you to the Leadership Farm It's good to be here thank you Andy Uh, and I I, um, pronounce your name Brashi but uh, I suspect it's probably a bit different Uh, Close it's Braschi Braschi okay and and your your home where are you from? I'm Italian by nationality but I grew up in Switzerland you're, you're well travelled with OMF International, been there for 36 years. Uh, so uh, where, where have you served particularly? Well, we started off in Indonesia where we served for eight years and then had 10 years on the home side with OMF UK. Then we went out to Myanmar and started the work of the mission there. Then had several roles again on the home side with OMF UK. But more recently, since 2012, um, we had a worldwide ministry with OMF New Horizons. Initially, I focused um, on Eastern and Southern Europe, but then it was worldwide indeed. Okay. And and were there particular favourite countries that you'd visited of, of those t- places? Well, they all have their uh, goods and uh, not so good parts. But I certainly enjoyed the, the work in Eastern and Southern Europe, just seeing what God was doing there. In Eastern Europe, um, it was emer- the churches were emerging from a period of communism where they were very much persecuted or had to keep a low profile. And they were now coming out of that situation, flourishing, and were wanting to look beyond their borders wanting to be involved in missions. In Southern Europe, um, I met a church leader in France a couple of years ago, and he told me that the previous year, 50 new churches had been planted. That's about one every week, isn't it? Yeah. And that uh, the average church attendance had grown from 30 to 50 people. Now, this is in a country that had been written off as spiritually dead not so long ago. Yeah, indeed. Um, France had traditionally been a, a place where uh, there was a lot of nominal Catholicism, but not a great deal of, of vibrant uh, life. And uh, I think we have seen a different picture at the recent um, fire at Notre Dame Cathedral when, when the more vibrant Catholics have come out as well. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Great. And so tell us about OMF uh, New Horizons, this kind of relatively new venture for the for the um, mission agency. Yeah. yeah. Well, New Horizons was, was launched in response to the changes in missions that you mentioned in the introduction. Over the last 25 or so years, the Lord has brought about great changes to the profile of world missions in that traditional missionary receiving countries have become missionary sending countries. Just to mention a couple of examples or so, the Nigerian Evangelical Missions Associations have pledged to pray for 15,000 new workers to be sent by 2030. Now that's a thousand every year or three a day. 
Um, India already has 90,000 Indian missionaries on the ground. Um, at the same time, the number of missionaries sent out by traditional sending countries stagnated or even declined. Um, like all other uh, uh, missionary organizations, OMF had to respond to this changing scene and adjust accordingly. And so we launched a team that would engage with these emerging mission organizations to explore areas of common ground and negotiate ways of partnering with one another. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you're creating a, a, a new team from scratch. I mean, was it easy to... To gather people, I mean, you know, you were approached at some point. Did you were you warm to the idea initially, or did it take a while? Well, um, in my particular case, I saw what God was doing since 1989, when the communist wall, well, Berlin Wall, and then communist wall collapsed, and I was wondering, you know, is this God's timing for these countries? Mm. And it was the case. But when we officially launched New Horizons, there were a few people whom God had already prepared. For some reason, they were coming to the end of their ministry, wherever that was. Uh, they were ready for a change. They, they caught the vision and they joined us very soon. And so we were able to deploy team members to Brazil, India, Europe, and some sensitive countries, which I can't name here. Sure, sure. And we are currently looking for additional team members for Spanish-speaking Latin America and Africa. Their roles really is to not to, to become traditional missionaries anymore, but to mobilize believers from these countries to help us in our work in East Asia. Right, right. So, I mean, you've been um, working with uh, OMF New Horizons. Um, what was what are the kind of places that have excited you and, and kind of got your uh, pulse racing, as it were? Well, uh, overall, it's been very thrilling to meet with like-minded people who took, Je took Jesus' Great Commission seriously and wanted to engage in world missions. I remember meeting with an Indian mission leader who said that uh, they've been involved in missionary activities for the last 25 years. These were primarily within India, but now, he said, they felt that God was calling them to send missionaries to the ends of the world. Um, a different country in Kenya about a year ago, I met with student leaders and they told me about a large conference to which about 3,000 students came. At the end of the conference, when they launched an appeal, um, over 300 committed to long-term missionary service and about 800 pledged to support missionary activities around the world. Okay. Um, now, I mean, every established mission agency had to start somewhere. And, and figure out what needed to happen. And OMF or CIM, as it was then, would have would have done that. So I wonder in what, I mean, the emerging church, uh, emerging mission movements could, could do the same without any help, presumably. Mm -hmm. So how could, how, how is your experience helping them is, I guess, the question. Well, let me first say that it's uh, it's helping each other mutually. Okay. It's, not, it's not a one-way uh, system or one-way uh -huh. track. Um, I would say that it's been a, mutu a mutually beneficial process where both sides had something to give and something to receive. We've been able to share from our experience how to develop sustainable long-term mission activities by setting up good organizational foundations, systems and procedures. On the other hand, we've been challenged by their spontaneous and flexible approach to missions. Okay. So uh, has it been tension-free in terms of, you know, you come along... You have the conversations. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, on, on the whole, it has been. Um, we, we experienced some tensions, but some groups in, accused us of spiritual colonialism. Mm. But these were very rare. We found that people were very, very willing to consider partnership wherever it was feasible, wherever it, it brought benefits to both sides. Um, 
in fact, it was very often more them approaching us rather than the other way around. We certainly are not here to impose us on anyone or our systems or anything, but we want to offer our hand of partnership, which will be of help to both sides. Okay. Um, and the major challenges to your work, uh, Guido? Yeah, um, I often sensed a certain degree of resistance from believers in Western countries, almost like not wanting to admit, admit that these changes were taking place for fear almost of losing their position of leadership in world missions. Um, on the other hand of the spectrum, I often encountered situations where churches from low economic countries were wanting to send young people to mission, but were thwarted by the high financial costs involved. Okay. Um, some, some maybe concrete examples of this? Oh, I mean, I appreciate you. it may be yeah, tricky. <laughs> it's a tricky one, but I, I often sensed a resistance to what we were doing on the part of believers in the Western world. In, in a way, it reminds me a little bit of the prophet Jonah, who initially refused to go to Nineveh because he disliked the people there, and, and, and understandably so, they were the oppressors. Yes. And then so he went the other way. And then when he went to Nineveh, he remonstrated with God, and the Ninevites responded to the message and repented. Uh, you remember when he was in a boat and the storm came, the sailor asked him, tell us who's responsible for, for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Well, he responded almost in defiance. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry, and the dry land. Well, how can you worship without obeying him? But that's a different matter. But what I'm trying to say is that being a Hebrew was his main identity, and he resented that the Ninevites should repent mm. and experience God's grace. Sadly, there are parallels there with modern-day believers in that they see their first identity being in their nation or culture or tribe, and that identity in Christ is secondary. Okay, and therefore they're... They have a kind of paternalistic view of yes, other, niche, other yeah. nations. Yeah. Yes, sadly. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's, thank you for being honest about that. That's um, sad, sad though it is. Uh, <clears throat> I'm interested in the kind of things you you would look for in a missional leader, uh, Guido. Right. Uh, obviously, this is a, we're looking particularly at leadership in this, mm. um, in this, in this broadcast. Um, uh, perhaps some of the signs that suggest there could be trouble ahead in a, in a leader or a potential leader. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, I would say a mission leader needs to be able to perceive and interpret the signs of the time, understand where the wind of the spirit is blowing and adjust accordingly, or to change the metaphor, catch the wave of the spirit of God. He or she needs to understand that we are moving from a situation of pioneering to one of partnering with the local church. There is no country in the world now where there is not a, a local church. We need to partner with them. We need to submit to their leadership in places. The, the other thing which is increasingly important is that missional leaders need to understand the needs of their workers, develop teams, coach, mentor younger members, and liberate them into their God-given ministry. Okay. And, and you have particular examples of that? Yeah, looking back over the years that we've been in the mission, I would say that the main cause of conflicts and tensions for individuals has come from personality clashes with team members. This has been corroborated by research into missionary attrition, the causes for leaving. So a leader needs to invest in her team if it is to function in a sustainable way. Yeah, and um, I think it was Rob Hay who did some of that work in, in yeah, the UK. that's right. Yeah. And um, I believe he found that 
something like 70% of people who'd returned from the mission field returned in part, really, because of struggles with, with yeah, leadership. That was certainly one main, main one main reason. Yeah, also personality clashes with other team members, so yeah. it's a bit of both. Yeah, yeah. sorry, and I, sorry, the 70% was, um, uh, was, the 70% was that 70% of those in mission leadership had never been trained in that role. Sorry, uh, I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know yes, what the percentage is yeah. of people returning, but yeah. just to clarify, my but, but it's certainly a true picture. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Well, you're listening to Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm uh, joined this week by Guido Braski, and uh, we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Guido Braski. We're talking particularly uh, about uh, his work, uh, former work with OMF New Horizons. The fact that uh, mission has changed over the years. We're no longer west to the rest, but there's uh, some of the countries that formerly received uh, missionaries uh, have now become uh, stronger in their faith and they're wanting to send missionaries uh, themselves. And uh, OMF, with a, with a new uh, approach, OMF International, a new approach with this uh, New Horizons, which Guido was leading, uh, are seeking to help these new emerging uh, missionary movements and we're we're talking about that and uh, seeking to focus and understand a little bit about the kind of leadership that's that's required um, so Guido as you as you think about leadership development um, any particular approaches you've been involved in what what in your experience has worked worked best in your sort of looking back in 36 years or so of, <laughs> of being involved in yeah, OMF yeah a bit long in the tooth isn't it <laughs> yeah I think the challenge for large well-established international missions is to influence that you're organizational culture to be more open and welcoming to workers from all sorts of cultural backgrounds. We still function with a Western mindset where we have fairly rigid procedures and systems in place. Now, these go against many cultures and make it difficult for people from these cultures to feel welcomed and at home in our organizations. Personally, I focused on two leadership developments. Firstly, on leading a team in such a way that each and every team member feels they belong, that they are encouraged uh, in each in, to realize their gifts and potential that God has given them, where each person is empowered to work to their potential, and to recognize that as a team of brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all members of Christ's body, where we depend and complement each other. But secondly, I've studied a lot about what is called cultural intelligence, trying to gain a better understanding of how people from different cultures interact with one another, respond to leadership, handle problems, make decisions, what encourages and discourages them, how they view the world. In other words, how best to bring together a group of people from different cultural backgrounds to form a team that functions on the basis of mutual understanding and respect. Mm, okay. Uh, I mean, that, that cultural intelligence particularly sounds, sounds fascinating to expand on. I don't know if you've got <laughs> examples. Yeah, we were in discussions with inquirers and their church leaders in a large country in Asia and explaining what our application procedures would look like and that it could take more than a year until all our boxes are ticked. Now, they were horrified and asked why there should be such a delay if the candidate was already screened by the church and ready to be sent. To them, our procedure came across as lack of trust in their selection process. Uh, we have also quite a lengthy and detailed handbook, for instance. To some Latin Americans, this seems anathema. Africans would feel that our democratic process of electing leaders is countercultural to them. They would rather prefer long rounds of discussion until unanimity is reached. Okay. 
I mean, it is, uh, we could, I suppose we could have a whole, sh- whole show on that particular area. But that it's, is... it's an interesting subject. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one which is becoming increasingly important, not only for Christian organisations, but also for international commercial organisations. Yeah. Um, and we can easily assume, oh, crumbs, that must be the best way, because <laughs> that's, you know, that's what we've come to. But we're just, we're so blinkered by our own background, culture, yeah. education. Yeah. But in fact, to have a multicultural, multi, multinational team in missions is a tremendous testimony to the people on the receiving end. They see that we can get on uh, with, with each other, even though we are from different backgrounds, from different cultures. And they wonder, why is that? And that's always a, a good opportunity to explain that we are united in the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Now, many of these... Um and our missions are, are going into new areas, but of course there's the concept of of reverse missions, which which the UK is benefiting from. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, I've some folk have spoke very movingly to me about how you know the gospel was brought to places like Nigeria, for example. Mm. Uh, I don't know exactly the, the number, you know, probably a hundred years ago or something like that, mm. and 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 how they're now able to return to the UK, which is sad, sadly stagnant and declining in some parts, yeah. um, and and they're thrilled to be able to, to to give something back as they would see it. Yeah. Um, you probably have yeah. experience of that. Yeah, yeah, a very lovely example in uh, northeast India, where some states are are predominantly Christian now. I was um, speaking to a mission leader, and we went to visit one of the first churches which were planted there um, about 120 years ago. Uh, interestingly enough, it was, uh, it was a product of the Welsh Revival. Oh, right, yes. For some reason, um, the people who came out of the Welsh Revival took that part of the world as their mission field. And so they sent a number of missionaries. In fact, there was a commemoration plaque in, in, the, in the front of the church and there were names like Thomas and Evans and oh, Lloyds right. of, all, <laughs> of all these missionaries who've yeah. been serving there. And so as I was talking to, to my, my brother there, I was saying, well, you realise that Wales is now pretty spiritually dire. Have you ever thought of sending missionaries back to Wales? And he said, well, we've done that. We've done that. There are a number of Welsh missionaries in Cardiff, in Swansea, and in more rural parts of the world. And so I recently rejoiced. Um, there, there was also a situation where my, my, uh, my colleague in Germany received a letter from a church in China which uh, said something to the effect that they realize that Germany is now a very secular country and they want to send missionaries to Germany. And uh, he replied and said, well, I've been praying for that for the last 10 years. <laughs> and he was trying to facilitate it. I think the whole project uh, came to nothing because of the, the stricter immigration and visa rules. You know, But, sure. but we, we see a trend now where these uh, traditional missionary receiving country, countries want to send missionaries. And particularly, they want to send them to, to, the, to the country which has blessed them in the past to bless them now in the present and future. Right, sure. And of course, um, as well as finding, you know, Welsh people um, to whom they can share, they will also be finding uh, multicultural, yeah. Yeah. you know, pockets. And yeah. I don't know yeah. exactly the makeup of some of the immigration into, into yeah. Wales, but there will be yeah. um, from presumably from India and other places. Yeah, yeah, and that's a bit the danger that uh, the, these missionaries then, because of the the hurdle of learning the language, learning the culture, etc., see there is a need among their own country people, and so they focus on them. So that's that's a challenge that we we need to respond to sure. and make sure that they come out 
well prepared and that their sending bodies, their sending organizations are willing to invest into long-term language and cultural studies to equip them for the work for which they have sent them. So you've, um, I said in my introduction that you'd, you've moved on now from New Horizons yourself. So what, your work is kind of coming, coming to radio stations like this and talking about things? <laughs> well, yeah, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm officially retired now from okay. OMF, which is a, a great state to be. I can recommend it to everybody. Go for <laughs> retirement. Um, but um, we are now officially on, on a home assignment, which means that we are available to speak at churches, to go to, to prayer groups, to mission groups, etc., to mm-hmm. talk about what God is doing, to just open the eyes of people and hopefully encourage them. You know, I mentioned before that people sometimes times came across with a bit of suspicion or a bit of unease about it all. Well, we should rejoice at what God is doing. I think the Great Commission is now being obeyed globally. Mission is now a global workforce. And uh, we are nearer to the time when all tongues and, and tribes will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Absolutely, well, fabulous, and and obviously your your hope for the future of New Horizons, which you used to be part of. Well, uh, that it will grow in in its own members, uh, people deployed to different parts of the world to to establish partnerships with local missions, that they would be effective in mobilising people for East Asia, which is still one of the least evangelised uh, parts of the world, and uh, the need there is still horrendous. Um, and so it, it's great to, to receive invitations from Mexico, for example, which is going to be the next big mission, mission uh, giant in world missions. And they were saying, well, we know a lot about Islam. We know a lot, a lot about our own animistic tribes in Mexico and Latin America. But we know nothing about Buddhist countries in East Asia. Can you come and teach us about that? Can you come and mobilize our people for, for countries in East Asia, Japan, Thailand, China, Taiwan, etc.? We want to be involved there as well right and obviously omf international continues to to flourish uh, you know even though there's this a uh, <laughs> you know it, it needs to morph and, and change no doubt yeah well um, we hope it will continue to flourish there are many challenges one of them is financial obviously mm. to sustain the operation but it's just been great to see how people from different parts of the world um, uh, India, um, Chile, Brazil, Brazil um, have joined us in ministry to East Asia, and they're doing very, very well. Fabulous. And and how can listeners uh, learn more? Well, I think in the first instance is um, be in touch with um, a, a large mission organization that they know well and find out what they are doing. There is a lot of literature now about the, 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 the subject of reverse mission, about the new face of missions around the world. There is much one can do, but I think... Um, if if um, if your listeners could be challenged to pray for this uh, new wave of missions as it, that we are seeing around the world and participate in prayer, in donations, in, in whatever way, I think that that could be a great contribution to it. Fabulous. Well, um, Guido, it's been ter- terrific to chat with you. Thank you for your Thank you, Andy. Uh, insight and en- en- enthusiasm. So my thanks to Guido Braschi, who's been involved with OMF International, our most latterly New Horizons element of OMF International. Uh, do log on to Premier's website and go to the On Demand section and get uh, archived versions of a leadership file. Uh, you can also uh, go to Premier's store and get a copy of my book, The Leadership Road 
less travelled, which includes uh, conversations I've had with various leaders over the years who've uh, taught me about leadership. And uh, the book is my reflections on what I've learned and how it's helped me and my leading uh, where God's placed me. So I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premiere. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 